chasing a trail of terror to his Japanese homeland. Godzilla! Roaring defiance to the only enemy on Earth strong enough to challenge him. The uncomfortable King Kong, giant gorilla god of this South Seas paradise, where sensuous maidens offer themselves in ritual sacrifice to his brute embrace. Godzilla has a brain about this size. He is sheer brute force. While Kong is a thinking animal. His brain is considerably larger. About ten times the size of this gorilla's skull. Being instinctive rivals, there is no doubt that they will attempt to destroy one another. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, the beauty that kills the beast, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. In this episode, Nakia and I are enjoying a creature double feature as we sit down for her first viewings of the original King Kong from 1933 and the original Godzilla from 1954. Nakia, obviously the hook for this particular discussion is the upcoming release of Godzilla vs. Kong, a clash of cinematic titans that's being released in theaters and on HBO on March 31st. Are you, are you excited for Godzilla vs. Kong? Not at all. Have you placed a bet? Do you, do you, <laughs> are you rooting for either of these two titans? I, I am not, no. no. No dog in this fight whatsoever. Not at all, no. I actually won't claim to be super excited about it myself. Uh, I haven't been that impressed with any of the recent films featuring either of these characters. The new one is directed by Adam Wingard, who did Your Next and The Guest, both of which I liked. And it's written by one of the guys who wrote Thor Ragnarok, which we both liked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, could be good. (laughs) Open mind. Sure. But really, it's just a convenient excuse for us to watch the two indispensable classics that introduced these iconic movie monsters. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong will be the fourth film in the new MonsterVerse franchise that began with Gareth Edwards' Godzilla in 2014. But overall, it will be the 12th King Kong movie and the 36th Godzilla movie. It's not even the first time these two have fought each other. There was a 1962 movie called Kong vs. Godzilla. So, that is, simple math, 48 movies with these two characters. Uh, How many of those have you seen? Uh, Zero of 48. (laughs) Actually, checking my math, it's going to be 47, because one of those movies was both of them. Okay. So, but you you have seen none of these movies. None. None of the remakes. No. You didn't see Peter Jackson's King Kong a few years no. ago. You didn't see the 90s Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie that was terrible. Why would I? <laughs> I, I don't know. Why did you avoid these movies? It wasn't that hard to do. I mean, I don't even remember consciously making a decision. It was just sort of, I don't eat dirt. 
<laughs> like, you don't have to think about the fact that you don't eat dirt. Like, you, you just don't eat dirt. Um, <laughs> and that's not to call these films. Well, no, I, I think you just did. No, I'm just trying to, like, convey how it wasn't really a decision. It was just like, well, you, you don't eat dirt. <laughs> okay, here's a better way okay. of saying that. Thank I you. breathe. I don't really think about the fact that I'm breathing. So these films came. I didn't even really think about the fact that I wasn't going to see them. I just okay. didn't see them. All right. You didn't go out of your way to not right, see them. No. You just didn't. There was nothing that was driving me to go see any of the Kong or Godzilla films. <laughs> okay. Have you enjoyed anything in the giant monster genre? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily mm-hmm. these two characters, just big-ass big monsters, ass monsters, like, stomping on cities. Because <laughs> that's my sweet spot right there. <laughs> um, you know what would be interesting mm. is to, like calculate the damage costs of like an Avengers film with one of these films. Like who who, who caused who more causes damage? The more most damage, yeah. Dollar wise. That's to that's a, city. a tough one. It's comparable. Certainly. I would say it was the Avengers. I think they they, you think they did more, more property damage? More property damage I, than Okay, but that sounds like you're blaming the Avengers and really it was the people they were fighting. They don't go out of their way to keep it neat. Uh, no, so I have seen big ass monsters. So Colossal was probably the most. Oh, the Anne Hathaway. Like, I didn't see that. You saw that? I did see that. I when think, are you watching movies that know. I without we, me? You know that I don't sleep, so I tend to watch random shit. <laughs> You're not allowed to see movies I haven't seen. And I can't remember if that was pre or post. Devil Wears Prada. It must have been post. post. I think it was only a couple years ago. Okay. But yeah, so there's no reason why I would have wanted to, like, I, I, looking back on it now, I don't, I can't even remember why I would have sat down and watched it. It may have just been one of those things that was sort of on and then it ended up sucking me in unexpectedly. But it's a really cool movie, actually, because it's, while, yes, it is a quote-unquote big-ass monster movie, it is also this exploration of toxic masculinity through big-ass monsters. That's just too just great taste that tastes great together. fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> so she's, like, psychically linked with a giant monster or something? Yes, something happens remember. when she gets drunk and she walks across this very specific park somehow she manifests as a big ass monster <laughs> in Seoul, South Korea that's like knocking down buildings and stomping on people. As white ladies. As drunk ass white ladies just yeah. stomping around killing people. So it's it's an interesting way to use that very specific genre. Okay. I'll have to check that one out. Anything else in the giant monster genre that you have seen? Giant monsters. Um Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> My all-time favorite. Does that does that count? I think it does. I, I mean, mean, he does some property damage. He's a big ass, okay, puffy sure. marshmallow I man. I guess that kind of counts. It absolutely counts. And I, I always want to eat him. I want to roast him and eat him, <laughs> or hug him. Um, Do you think he could beat King Kong? Uh, no. I think I think, think he I think he'd have problems with Godzilla because I think Godzilla. See, Godzilla breathes fire, and so could turn him fire into fire and marshmallow, charred marshmallow, he'd, which is my he'd favorite. Be a giant s'more. My That's favorite a... thing. Um, so I think Kong would probably kick his ass. I think. I haven't seen Stay Puft in a while. Okay, but I, like he just probably has a, has a diabetes. Um, <laughs> so you know, not a good fighter. What else? You've seen, like, Jurassic Park. I've seen Jurassic Park. Which sort of counts, I would say. Well... There's definitely parts of those movies. Mm-hmm. Like, I think in one of them, they bring, like, a T-Rex back to the modern world, L.A. or San Diego or because somewhere. Because, of course, it, you like, would. Why wouldn't the you city. bring a T-Rex to I don't see what could possibly go wrong. No. That yeah. always works out well in these yes. movies. Not, not good. 
Not good. You haven't seen Cloverfield. I have not, no. That's like a found footage giant monster movie. It's pretty good. Okay. Pacific Rim, did Guillermo's movie. Love Guillermo, did not see Pacific Rim. Yeah, I Rim. love Guillermo too. I wasn't <laughs> crazy about it. It's really good. Like if, if what you want to do is watch giant robots punch giant monsters in the face, it's a lot of fun. See, and that's not my vibe. If, I just don't. If you actually care about characters or, you know plot or mm-hmm. story or mm-hmm. dialogue or anything it to me it was a little lacking in that department well that's not what you go for that for though well i mean i don't see why you can't have both uh, well i mean two fighting monsters takes up a lot of space a lot of narrow space there and iron giant another okay my... giant sure giant robot that that is a slightly different subgenre. we got you know in japanese terms kaiju mm-hmm. is the giant creatures and mecha is the giant robots. And sometimes they fight each other. Mm -hmm. In fact, I believe there was a Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla (laughs) fight in one of the older movies. Did Mechagodzilla win? I gotta confess, I'm not 100% sure I've seen Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. This is actually not my lane. This is like Ali and Fraser, and you're just... This is not the kind of nerd I am. I just, I'm not as fluent in all of this as I should be. Mm -hmm. Um, I have actually not seen i haven't seen the original king kong in 30 years probably um and i was much as a kid i was much more familiar with the really fairly terrible remake that came out in the 70s with jessica lang and jeff bridges and for reasons we will discuss when we get to the background on that movie i have actually never seen the original unedited japanese language godzilla Mm -hmm movie. It was actually not widely available until fairly recently. There was a edited American version that is what, you know, I saw on TV as a kid, mm-hmm. those flip mm-hmm. channels. Um so I'm a, I'm looking forward to this. What are what are you expecting from this experience? Uh I'm expecting to see white people steal a big ass ape <laughs> from Africa. Okay, okay, we're gonna go there already. Well isn't I mean that's what there is. Like that's what's there. Uh and somehow the ape falls in love with a blonde white woman. Alright, so let's let's do a little background on we're gonna watch King Kong first. I think we're gonna talk about these movies separately. So first let's talk about King Kong. We'll mm. do a little background on it. So King Kong was the brainchild of a guy named Marion C. Cooper, who was he, he was a colorful guy. He was a former bomber pilot, he was a reporter, he was an explorer, he was kind of this renaissance man adventurer. Mm-hmm. And he got to start in the film business. He and his partner and cinematographer Ernest Shuzdak would go on these expeditions to exotic places for like the Explorers Club and the Geographic Society and shoot these nature documentaries, mm-hmm. etc., shooting film of exotic animals. They proved very popular, these films, and apparently they started sort of moving from just straight documentary stuff towards more narrative, you know, editing the films together to give them a story. And you can sort of see how they eventually got to King Kong, which is actually about a film producer going and on one of these expeditions. Right. Um, And in fact, the human characters in King Kong are more or less based on Cooper, Shuzdak, and Shuzdak's wife, who was the screenwriter, Ruth Rose. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so on one of these expeditions, apparently Cooper got the idea that eventually evolved into King Kong. His original idea is he wanted to see a real ape fight a real Komodo dragon. Yeah. Because who wouldn't want to see that? Well, Komodo dragon wins. I mean, doesn't Komodo dragon win every fight? Well, I don't know. I think they're like one of the most dangerous animals on the planet. I'm pretty sure. I think Komodo dragon wins every fucking fight. 
Nobody knows because these are not creatures that live side by side in nature. No. That this was part of the problem with his plan is that there are no apes or gorillas on the island of Komodo. So what he wanted to Why do Why would that matter? What he wanted to do originally was go on an expedition to Africa, capture a big gorilla, take the big gorilla to Komodo and get some footage of it with a Komodo dragon. Somebody should stop that from happening. They did. Nobody, nobody wanted to pay to do that. So it was more about the finances and less the sort of moral... Uh, I don't think morals came into this anywhere. No, no, no. Implication. No. Okay, got yeah. it. Sure. <laughs> right. So a few years later, Cooper ends up working at RKO Pictures as an assistant to studio head David Selznick. And RKO at that time was working on a prehistoric dinosaur picture called Creation with special effects master Willis O'Brien. And this is, Willis O'Brien is a legendary figure, one of the pioneers in special effects, stop motion animation, miniatures, all of that we can pretty much trace back to O'Brien. Okay. And Cooper looked at this movie Creation and saw what O'Brien was doing with miniatures and dinosaurs and things and said, there's how I can make my ape fights Komodo <laughs> dragon movie. Uh, and in fact, seeing what O'Brien was doing, he said it can be giant ape fights dinosaurs. And RKO had already built a gigantic jungle set for a movie called The Most Dangerous Game, so they could just shoot King Kong on that. So this, this all basically came together. He, I think, basically told Selznick, that creation movie that they're working on doesn't look like it's going to be very good. Let's cancel that. It's too expensive anyway. And let's go make King Kong. Sure. You want to know about a Komodo dragon? I'm sorry. Are you sitting there looking up Komodo dragons? Well, because I wanted to know that what I said was right. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. So experts say that in the wild, they would not hesitate to kill and consume a human. Their bite contains a strain of bacteria that is highly harmful to both animals and humans, and they're prodigious hunters that have the patience to wait until their prey gets too close. The Komodo dragon would win. You do not need a movie for this. <laughs> the Komodo dragon wins. Well, I mean, but gorillas are wily. But and, all the, apparently, know, the, use tools. The Komodo dragon has a venomous bite. That also, all they would need to do was bite the ape, and then the ape would be would die. Okay. Thank. So then, in the forthcoming fight, it would seem like Godzilla has the edge. Because Godzilla is basically a giant Komodo dragon who breathes fire. I mean, but sometimes size makes you less efficient as a killer sometimes. Like, that can sometimes fuck you up. Because you're all, like, lumbering and not quite as elegant as a Komodo dragon. They're fascinating. <laughs> it's like that scene in Kill Bill where, what's her name, is, like, reading off all the traits of the, uh... Black the Black Mamba. <laughs> Gargantuan. <laughs> Don't have a lot of reason to use that word. Okay, it was more fascinating than what I was talking about, obviously. They can kill even the largest prey with a single you're, bite. You're, you're just sitting there looking at your phone while I'm just trying well, to Well, because talk I'm about learning about Komodo dragons, but I realized I, I was making a presumption about Komodo dragons. <laughs> so it was like a word on the street was that Komodo dragons were fucking dominating, and I needed to make sure that that was accurate. Continue. No, no, that's fine. I think they're in one of the fucking uh, James Bond films. Like, they get they fall into a pit with a couple of Komodo dragons, and then the Komodo dragons take out a couple of the bad guy. That does sound familiar, yeah. yeah. So, so fucking Komodo, dra the, like, Komodo dragon Greg, wins. Daniel Craig wins, we don't, right? We don't need to relocate fucking monkeys from, April, <coughs> from Africa. Komodo dragon wins, obviously. Anyway, they made King Kong. It was really cool. It made a lot of money. Always bet on Komodo. <laughs> 
I guess we just might as well go watch the movie. <laughs> no, point. sorry. This, no, this is going. You've no, done the research. No, I you obviously don't. No, I just, really do care about it. And honestly, if you're tuning it out, so is everyone else. They can, they can read about <laughs> that it. That doesn't mean they're interested in my Komodo facts. I read so. on a Wikipedia page, you know, basically. We can no. do this. No, we're totally no. in it. We're in it. It's all right. Okay, so what are, you, what are you expecting from King Kong? Racism. A big <laughs> like it's... Uh... <laughs> okay, I, I suspect we will end up talking about the racism. <laughs> A, a, a little bit, at least. <laughs> According to Nathan Rabin, perhaps the nicest thing that could be said about the racial politics of the original King Kong is that they reflect the tenor of the times, which were, alas, very racist. Okay. <laughs> that takes some audacity to say, alas, very racist. Yeah. Alas. Alas. Alack. <laughs> yeah, so we, we will talk about that. I don't want to, you know, go into it with a lot of preconceptions. I think. We well, just... I mean... It's a big-ass black monkey. Uh, Ape, excuse me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And a white woman. Uh, yes. And the black monkey, or excuse me, the black ape is being put on display across the country for large white audiences. Possibly, sure. Okay. Taking issue with this already. I'm saying how, there's no way to not go into this without pre Well, that's... Well, it's just a story about a big monkey. I don't know. Ape. Is it? I guess we'll find out. Alas. Alas. <laughs> okay, we're going to go watch it. When we get back, we will talk about King Kong. Wait a minute. What about Kong? Well, what about him? We came here to get a moving picture, and we found something worth more than all the movies in the world. What? We've got those gas bombs. If we can capture them alive. Why, you're crazy. Besides that, he's on a cliff where a whole army couldn't get at him. Yeah, if he stays there. But we've got something he wants. Yeah, something he won't get again. Hey, look out! It's Kong! Kong's coming! And we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched the first half of our creature double feature, 1933's King Kong. Nikia, how did this one work for you? <laughs> um... Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was bad in all the ways that I thought it was going to be bad. Was it good in any ways that you were surprised to find out it was good? Or did you only see the bad? (laughs) Um, no, uh, no. Really? I don't think so. I mean, some of the action scenes in the jungle (laughs) were, like, respectively terrible. I watched it, and I was, like, if we could leave out the thematic problems. Uh, How do you leave that? Then you have nothing. You have no film. It's a pretty awesome fucking movie. Okay, sure. I mean, sure, if, yes, extract everything and only leave (laughs) King Kong fighting just increasingly out-of-context animals in the jungle, (laughs) then sure, it was was enjoyable. I realize I'm now the guy, it's like, Birth of a Nation is an amazing landmark in cinematic history. Yes, this really is in the same category as Birth of a Nation. I mean, it really, it's basically the same lineage there. Did did you enjoy the movie? Um, did you have fun watching the amazing. movie? Not really. No. Okay. No. Like I said, I think that the, some of the fight scenes in the jungle, like I I respect them. Um, they were, you know, it's it the, the sort of stop motion and the like rear projection. Mm-hmm. 
looks real clunky in, I mean, in the light of 2021. But, but it's cool. But it's cool. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I respect it. I think it's, you know, I can see the fun in it. And it looked, it looked clunky. It's not like audiences went to this movie and thought, oh my God, it's so realistic. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Most mm-hmm. of the reviews were like, the stop motion, it's, it's a little clunky. Yeah. But that didn't stop anyone from enjoying it because sure. it was still something nobody had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And it was it was cool to watch. You no, know, I get that. I said I said I have now said multiple times like that. I sure I will <laughs> give it that. Okay. Well, how, how would you like to discuss this movie? Do you want to? I have no idea. Do you want to plunge right into some of your issues with the film? Well, it's really just the one big issue. <laughs> it's racist as shit. So there isn't there aren't any that and you know. The presence of a stegosaurus and a brontosaurus and a T-Rex and a pterodactyl <laughs> in this forest uh, were probably the two things that bothered. Nope. I forgot about the... Nope. There's a third. Uh, <laughs> I, seemingly coded Chinese, though that's not really made clear uh, character. That's it's, still under the racism. Yeah, I guess, yes, that's it still, still the, falls still under the, same yes, first the racism. Issue. So, so really, you only had two issues I guess, I guess, movie. yeah, I just had the two issues you know, with the uh, movie. Yeah. Politics... And science. Yeah. <laughs> the defining issues of our, our lives, yes. Politics and science. Okay, so let's let's talk about... And we're doing two movies today, so we're not going to go scene by scene. We can't possibly Mm-mm. go through these thoroughly. But generally, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess King Kong breaks down into how many parts here? We got the pre-boat part, we got the boat part, we got the island part, mm-hmm. and we got the New York part. Mm-hmm. Most of these we can dispense with pretty quickly. Yeah, pre-boat, nothing really matters. Pre-boat. pre-boat. Well, I mean, there's that's really the only thing we get out of that is we get introduced to the characters sure. who, the two men, are not much of characters at all. This no. is Denim, who's the director of this movie. It, first of all, let's talk about this whole plan. Because the whole plan, and this is, as we talked before, this was sort of what Marion Cooper used to do. Mm-hmm is just go off to these exotic places and shoot a movie. There's nothing more to the plan than that. They don't really know what they're going to get. He's heard rumors about something amazing Mm -hmm. on this island, which is off Sumatra. Yes, not Africa. Which is in Indonesia, which is a whole other... Is that one of the other two, or is is geography a whole different (laughs) issue here? Well, maybe that falls under the science, I guess, possibly, sure. (laughs) Also under the racism Yeah, also under the racism. All natives are the same. Yeah, so so basically they're just, they're sailing off on this seems to be very expensive, ridiculous uh, expedition Mm -hmm. to shoot something. Yes. And the only thing he knows is, audiences being what they are, he needs a dame in this movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the rise of the romantic comedy. (laughs) And uh, apparently his booking agent or whoever that guy was couldn't find a woman who was willing to do this. Right. So his solution to that is, I'm just going to take a cab and go out to the worst parts of the city and look for one. Yes. He went to like a wayward house for women (laughs) of some sort. I'll tell you what this reminded me of. I was my brother's best man when he got married. This is not a good story. It's not a good story. Well, and he told me explicitly, I don't want any strippers at my bachelor party. Okay. And I was completely on board with that because I was not comfortable booking strippers for the bachelor party. Okay. So I didn't do that. Then all his friends show up for the bachelor party and they're like, where are the strippers? And I'm like, I didn't get any strippers. He didn't want any strippers. We agreed no strippers. So 
a couple of my brother's friends went out to the local bars to try to find a girl who would be willing. And this is a small town. There were no professional strippers. <laughs> they were just going to women in the bar and saying, hey, if we give you some money, would you come to this bachelor party with guys you don't know and take your clothes off? That's classy. <laughs> Super classy. I think fortunately for everyone involved, no one took them up on this That's offer. That's the start of one of those like true crime episodes <laughs> of just... <laughs> No, it's not good. That was... Those are not good friends. Those aren't friends you really want to keep. No. But that's what this reminded me of. He's like, okay, I'm just going to go find some down-on-her-luck woman to get on this boat with me and sail. I mean, the the voyage has to be weeks. It seems as though it was a long time, yes. (laughs) From where? New York to Sumatra. New York to Sumatra. Weeks or months. Sure. As the only woman on this boat with sailors and strangers and people you don't know Mm -hmm. to go off to the middle of fucking nowhere and shoot some ill-defined movie. Perfect plan. Totally makes sense. Would you you accept this offer? This was probably (laughs) pre-SAG. Uh, no, I, I would not. I mean, it's an adventure, that's why... You don't get on boats with white people. Like, that's... If we learn nothing... Well, it's going the other direction, though. Still. <laughs> we don't do that. We don't take voyages with white people. So, yeah, uh, this is Andero, played mm-hmm. by Faye Ray, mm-hmm. who, who accepts this offer. Yes. Very desperate, <laughs> apparently. Do, do you have anything to say about... Faye Ray. She's really, as far as the humans go, she's the best character in the movie. I mean, she has the most. Best in what way? Well, in the sense that the other two. She spends the whole film yeah, screaming. Like, she, that's really. She does do a lot of screaming. The extent of her acting in this film is just screaming. <laughs> I think she's pretty good, though. And crawling away in fear. I mean, she's not... It doesn't... It's not asking a lot of her, but just to be afraid. Which I guess is... Sure, that's a a talent. But it wasn't a whole lot there. I like that scene on the boat where they're doing a screen test with her. Mm-hmm. And she's has... You know, he's like, okay, now be afraid. Now look up. You see something you've never seen before and you're in awe of it. Now you're afraid. Now you scream. And it, there's a whole... There's all, this is all very meta. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is like what she was going to have to do in the movie, and they're making her do it in this movie. I, I like that scene. Okay. <laughs> okay, but then, yeah, the director, he's not very interesting, really. And her love interest, uh, Jack Driscoll, who's the first mate, mm-hmm. he's kind of a dick. I mean, he's he's sort of a non-entity for me, and their whole, like, I guess I love you moments. <laughs> Was like, oh, is this? He spends the first twenty minutes like I hate women. I hate women. Women shouldn't be on the boat. Well, he smacks her. He's like giving instructions to his men and sort of wheels around and smacks her in the face accidentally. (laughs) And then it's like I guess I love you. So it's a slim pickings on the boat. (laughs) Well, there was, as you mentioned, I think his name is Charlie. Does he have a name? Okay, he does have a name. Yes. Yes, it's a. Mickey Rooney sort of um, <laughs> characterization of, again, I'm, I'm, he's coded as Chinese. I believe he is Chinese, it yes. Looks, um, but he's, yeah, he's, I guess, like the... Now, I looked it up. The, mm-hmm. the actor is Victor Wong. He was actually oh, okay. Chinese. At least there's that. Mm-hmm. All right. It was not a Mickey Rooney type situation. But the, they had him play it a little bit like a very broken English yes. and just, it, yes. was, it was a problem <laughs> for me. Uh, and he, ha- is it his monkey? Is the monkey his? I think, I this believe the monkey, monkey is his. Of course, why wouldn't the And somebody makes a Beauty and the Beast comment when she and the monkey are together, which is a little, uh, you know, deep literary foreshadowing yeah. we get here. That's mm-hmm. a sign of quality. Is it? Quality art. Or is it on the nose? <laughs> okay, then we get to the island. Yes. And, and we encounter this tribe. So we hear drums, and then, before we see anything, 
And then we see what looks to be some sort of tribal ceremony, which seems to be a trope in films, like when you come across this, like, even with, I feel like Dances with Wolves, I think when he first comes, they're, they're having some sort of ceremony. Like, it's always a ceremony. They're always doing the ceremony. It's a very... You never catch them just sitting around. Right, there's always, Or like, they've never just finished right, the ceremony no, when you get like there. they're always, like, dancing around a fire, dancing around a woman, and doing this. Uh, so it's just, uh, apparently it's very ceremonial. And then we hear a language <laughs> that I am unfamiliar with. Well, how many languages are you familiar with? That was not a real language. <laughs> it just wasn't. <laughs> and they're all straight out of central casting for African, again, not in Africa, but African natives uh, with the feathers and the animal pelts and the white sort of war paint. It's, it's all, it's all bad. Now, again, on the plus side. Are there? I did. I looked this up too. The the guy playing the chief was actually African American. Mm-hmm. Most of the extras were actually African American. This mm-hmm. was not a white face situation. It's a low bar, you which said. was it is a low bar, but it also I think is exceptional for this time okay. period. Sure. Um, there was a movie, and I guess we should talk about this. It's going to get into all the other stuff. Uh, there was a movie that had come out in 1930 called Ingagi, which was... No, you haven't seen... Nobody's seen it. It was a pre-code exploitation film, basically like a, a mockumentary or found footage mm-hmm. film. So it was sort of set up like it was one of these expedition films about a gorilla-worshipping cult that gives human sex slaves to the gorillas. Are gorillas having sex with human women? This is, in the movie, in this movie, they are. And in fact, there are apparently like human ape hybrids that are produced. Jesus. From the, so it's a movie and it had a lot of nudity in it. And it was like, again, pre-code. It was this horribly racist exploitation film. Oh my God. And it, the Hayes office eventually pulled it from distribution and it hasn't been seen since. But this movie was a huge money-making hit in 1930 and probably helped pave the way. Whether it directly inspired King Kong, I'm not sure, but it definitely helped pave the way for King Kong. I mean, you just gotta, for a movie like that to be a hit, that says something about who you are. <laughs> As a country? Yes. Sure. This is a woman birthing half <laughs> gorilla, half human. Like, yes. Your fixation on blackness, on the like bastardization of white women, like it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's astonishing if if it weren't just if it wasn't used to sort of validate murder and right chattel like, like uh, I would. Just, it's just it's like somebody needs to sit down and talk with you about that because that's. <laughs> That's odd. Yeah. That's, that's a real odd. I don't know. I just don't. And that's it. I mean, I guess this falls in the science bucket. Are gorillas attracted to women? Human women? Not that I know of. How no. does that copulation happen? <laughs> Anatomically speaking? Yes. I don't know. It's not my area of expertise. I just, I didn't, I, <laughs> Okay, so anyway. Anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, they're speaking a language that I don't think is a language, but apparently the chief of the boat? What is That's not right. The captain of the boat. Sure, captain of the boat (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) also speaks this unreal language. Right. And can translate. And it's basically, blondes are scarce around here, so they want the blondes. Right. The ceremony they happen upon is they are giving women Mm -hmm. to Kong. Yes. Uh, For sex, which is... 
force and we haven't seen kong yet we don't even know who kong is yet but right. we know that they are you know preparing some sort of sacrifice donation of women mm-hmm. to kong mm-hmm. and and then they get sight of sight of Anne. yeah miss Anne. we'll call her from now on because that's appropriate <laughs> okay let's call her miss Anne. and the tribe decides they'd, they'd rather have Anne. yes they would trade six of their black women right for one miss Anne. right so they refuse this offer. The, the, the director refuses this offer. Shockingly. <laughs> but then the natives sneak onto the boat and steal Anne anyway. Yeah. So this is where Charlie becomes a problem. <laughs> he was his, his characterization was already a problem, but then he becomes a problem because when the crew asks him, you know, where's Miss Anne, he basically says, crazy black man been here. Right. What I don't remember what he found. What did he find? He found I think he found like bones or something, like or, a bone necklace or something like that's that. That's right. It was a that necklace was, or something. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says, crazy black man been here. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I, okay. And ran off with Miss Anne. Ran off with Miss Anne. Yeah. So now we got to go rescue Anne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we find her chained up to an altar. Yes. Then we meet Kong. Right. A big ass gorilla. Talk to me about Kong. Is there anything to say really? I, I think I think so. So the stop motion's not great. Uh I I mean It's not terrible, but it's not great. For nineteen thirty three, sure. I think it's yes. pretty he's pretty expressive. The face is a little goofy. <laughs> it's a little when when you get close up on the face it's a little bit goofy. But sure. It's impressive. The only thing I had trouble with, and this is something they've talked about, is... So he's covered with fur. Yes. And apparently that was the one thing they couldn't solve in the stop motion process. Mm -hmm. That every time they move the model for him, they're ruffling the fur. Yes. So his fur... Moves yeah, weirdly yes. constantly yeah. throughout the movie. It's mm-hmm. like like there's a wind there's coming a from weird directions. There's a breeze ruffling his fur. Yes, <laughs> as J Lo knows, Beyonce knows. You always need a fan. You gotta have a fan. <laughs> yeah. So so Kong falls in love immediately with the with the blonde Miss Anne with the blonde Miss Anne mm-hmm. mm-hmm. takes her and takes her. She here's here's because they chain her up or they tie her up She's by the up, arms. Yes. Mm-hmm. Waiting for Kong. Yes. She fortunately manages to free herself from those bonds before Kong picks her up. What What happened to the other girls? Did she? I don't even remember her doing She did. That. Okay. Because I looked at that setup and I was like, how does Kong not just rip her arms off mm. when he grabs her? Mm. That's a good point. <laughs> this is not a setup that seems to be designed for the women to survive their date with Kong. Well, you don't want to, you know. And we do not see any of the, pr- presumably a lot of women have been given to Kong before. Yes. We do not see any of them. No, they are gone. It's not like he has a little harem back in his cave. I mean, do you think you survive getting fucked by a gorilla? (laughs) Do you come out of that is what I'm asking. Not a gorilla that size? I don't probably Or let's say you do and you're birthing gorilla-human hybrids. (laughs) Do you think you come out of that? I don't think you do. That's going to a darker place than I. I was you, just, you went. I was just saying, no. I was just saying. Did is Kong like eating these women? Is that what he did with all the others? Mm, I don't know. It's not positive that way. It was like he's eating them. It's he's in a relationship of some sort with him. So because if he was eating, then just eat her and then move on with your life. Versus carrying her around through this. Well, no, I'm saying, movie. but may, he he did. He obviously fell in love with Anne. I see. With Miss Anne. I see. But the others, I'm wondering if he was, if he was just eating them. Mm, okay, okay. So you're saying black women are just food. 
I'm not saying that. And not that. to be loved. I, I'm not saying that. That's what I just heard. I'm just wondering if that's what the movie is that's saying. What, that's because what we don't said. see any of the other women that have been given to Kong. It's not like he's treating them like princesses back in his cage. Black women are just grist for the mill. <laughs> until you find your Miss Anne. This is just uh, this is just a minefield. I mean, about there's no getting movie. out of this without being racist. So okay, so shortly after this, we we get the first of our our dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are stegosaurus. What year is this? What year is this? This is this is 1933. Okay, so dinosaurs. Wait, I'm, I got to stop you there. Right. The, no, I, I got to stop you there because whatever I'm that wonder, answer I'm wondering means, what right. what year I could have answered <laughs> exactly. that would have been an exception. That was the point. Was like, there's no year <laughs> so, in film. Like, oh, 33. Yeah, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs were extinct. I'm saying, I just wanted to set the record. (laughs) Like anywhere between in, you know, 20 million years or something. Sure. Sure. I'm just, right, exactly the point. Okay, so, so, I, so, so yes, wait, let me look this up. Okay, are dinosaurs extinct? In 1933, yes, dinosaurs. Okay. Even dinosaurs in Sumatra? Were, even, even in Sumatra. Okay. But not this one island off the coast of Sumatra. Where dinosaurs uncharted are still island Where apparently alive. dinosaurs still live. This is a very popular theme. This is, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World. That was the idea of that, too, is that maybe somewhere in the world there's islands where dinosaurs still exist. It's a meteor. What about it? We don't know that. You don't know. You don't know. It's, it's, you don't it know. was a wrap. You don't there was know. no safe space. <laughs> it was done. Okay. So, yes, we meet Didn't the know first. You were an expert paleontologist. I'm not claiming to be. You know what I do know? It was a fucking meteor. <laughs> Here's the part of this I find interesting. Okay. And I, and I think other people have pointed this out. This island is full of dinosaurs. Apparently, yes. And yet, at the end of the movie, when the director wants to bring back an attraction to put on display in New York to make money, he brings the gorilla. Mm-hmm. I feel like the dinosaurs might have been a bigger draw. No, it's because it's racism. Oh, right. See? I keep forgetting See? about the racism. The capitalism needs the racism <laughs> in order to work. So you bring back the black gorilla. Dinosaurs are not you racially don't, coded. No, they do not read as black. <laughs> so... What do they read as? I don't. That's an excellent question. I do not know. <laughs> Is it an excellent question, well, really? Well, because it's sort of. I mean, if like, <laughs> what the fuck are we even talking about right now, right? So everything is an excellent question right now. That is a very interesting question. I don't know that dinosaurs code as anything racially for me. Okay. <laughs> let's let's step back a little bit and let me challenge your reading here. Okay. We can agree, I think, mm-hmm. that Kong codes as black. Mm-hmm. But isn't Kong the most sympathetic person in the movie? Don't the white people in this movie come off awful and terrible? Isn't it an indictment of colonialism? Mm, is it? I mean... Because my reaction, and maybe this is just where I'm, where I'm coming from in my, you know, so-called enlightened modern sensibility. Sure. These white people were awful. Well, of course, yes. Like they see that Stegosaurus, and the first thing they do is just slaughter it. Yeah, they they shoot, shoot it, it about a hundred and fifty times, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "Oh, it's still alive!" And they shoot it in the head I think they a throw couple like a more bomb times. Or something. Yeah. They throw a bomb. Right. It's just like the classic example of just white people going in and just fucking everything up. Mm-hmm. So my sympathies are not with them. Okay. I mean, sh- yes. So my sympathies were with Kong. And yet that doesn't change the fact that he is portrayed as a threat to white womanhood, a threat to white manhood, dangerous, right. a murderer. Like all of these mm-hmm. things come with it. No, I, I, I agree with that. And that is literally the thread back to Birth of a Nation right, right there. Like unthinking, just animal, inhuman. Like, so I... That 
wants to come take right, and rape come your take white and rape women. your white yes. women. Yes. So yes, I sympathize with Kong, but I don't know that this film is sympathetic to Kong. But maybe it, I don't know. I guess you could argue. Yeah, I don't know that I'd argue that far. Like I, it's one of those things. It's like when we were talking about <laughs> remarkably similarly themed and plotted Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. where it's like, does the movie know? what it's actually about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or is it all just you know subtext that the creators happen to be marinated in and then they produced this work yeah so no i would not say that you know marion cooper went into this saying i'm going to make a movie that's sympathetic towards the coded african figure mm-hmm. uh marion cooper was not that guy here's a, here's a quote from marion cooper's memoir oh dear The lust for power is in us, we white men. We'll sacrifice anything for the chance to rule, and I believe it is right that black, brown, and yellow men should be dominated by the white. So no, this was not an enlightened guy for his time. Well, we have some of those now, so... Yes, absolutely. Nonetheless, I do think the movie... I do think Kong is the most sympathetic character in the movie, and we talk about that more when we get towards the end, I guess. Sure. Uh, okay, I don't know. What do, you, what do you want to talk about here on the... You want to talk about the dinosaur fights? We get a lot of dinosaurs. We get some good yeah, action I mean, You get the brontosaurus here. in the water. Brontosaurus are herbivores, or excuse me, were herbivores. <laughs> not, not these ones. But apparently they these eat ones people. These ones eat people. This movie is so fucking violent. It's pretty violent. I was shocked by how violent this movie is. Yeah. I would have completely forgotten But there's no that. blood, though, right? Do we see blood? Uh, I don't know that we see blood. Yeah. Well, actually, I think we do see blood. Do I don't remember. At least on the animals, not oh, necessarily yes. on yes. people. Kong and T-Rex both get some blood. Yes, yes. right. <laughs> so yeah, we get the brontosaurus that's apparently not an herbivore. <laughs> uh, we get the T-Rex fight. Mm-hmm. He pretty much Which rips T-Rex's awesome. jaw, like totally. <laughs> this the wrestling face. match. And so there's your there's your Godzilla versus Kong preview right there, right? That's... Yeah. And we get a giant But he, worm. Like, he gets Godzilla. Gets the T-Rex down and, like, rips its yeah, rips jaw, jaw open yeah. and breaks its neck. It's yes. so violent. All for the love of a white woman. <laughs> Giant worm, pterodactyl, those are all pulls the, the... Pulls the wings off the pterodactyl. Weird-ass animals there. I think those fights are awesome. No, they, they're fun. Like, I can see how that is, that's a fun thing to watch two ridiculous animals. And you're almost like, like there's too many of them, because it's like, okay, it's we've a got... Like, they just keep show, Like, that's what the whole bulk of this because movie no is. Because no one... Is Kong fighting dinosaurs. Is, is, is immune from the pull of the white woman. They all <laughs> want the white woman. <laughs> you think they all fall in love with the white woman? they all fall in love with the you white woman. You think the woman? giant worm? Yes. There's no symbolism there. There's cross-species <laughs> lust for the white woman. <laughs> So there were three scenes that were censored out of this movie. Okay. Originally. Two of them have been put back in the version we watched. One of them, I think, is some point at which Kong just picks somebody up and just bites his head off. Yeah. One of them is the one that's not, the one that they never found, so they couldn't put back, is there's that scene where Kong is shaking the log mm-hmm. and shaking all mm-hmm. the men off the log into the chasm, which, again, is just a great scene. It is a good scene, yeah. But apparently, as if that wasn't bad enough, the men fell off the log into the chasm and then were eaten by giant spiders. Nice. So we lost the giant spider. The giant spiders are lost to movie history. <laughs> That's a tragedy. Oh, no. <laughs> but that was apparently too gory or scary or whatever for the censors at the time. And then this third scene, getting to your interspecies thing, that was originally censored was the scene where Kong is ripping Anne's clothes off mm-hmm. 
and running his fingers all over her and then sniffing his fingers. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no. Did you not catch that? I guess I did and was not. Yeah, I think Hadn't I really thought about blocked that. Blocked that out, yeah. Because uh, I didn't want that to be a thing. Yeah, that's. Okay. Now that may have been, you know, perfect your perfume. No, it wasn't. That's not. <laughs> no. He fingered her and then he smelled her fingers. <laughs> That's what that was. Again, what I okay, I don't it's not it's not a one to one thing. We don't just that's okay. I don't understand what your problem is. I think you do. <laughs> I think you do. But okay. But yeah, he is definitely leering at her. There's, they keep cutting to like close-ups of his face, looking yeah, at her, yeah. and he—it's not a no. That's not a prey look. That it's not a pray praying look. No. It's not even like an affectionate, no. loving look. No. It's he leers yes, at her. It is lustful and it's weird. <laughs> it's very weird, and she's not that hot. <laughs> oh come on, she's pretty hot. Is she? Did yeah, really? Yeah, she I did not find her that mm-hmm. impressive to have fucking multiple species of animals. <laughs> some of whom have been extinct. Some of whom have been fucking extinct. Years. <laughs> she's not that damn hot. I mean, that's that's a timeless appeal. Damn, right there. <laughs> like I was expecting a whole like the scene where they finally show her face when the director finds her like trying to steal uh, an apple and she sort of turns around to the camera for the first time. Is like. Basic blonde bitch, and this and this is what it, it's always basic blonde bitch. Interesting point elevated. on that: Feyre was not a blonde naturally. Yeah. She in all of her other movies, she's brunette. She but probably they made her better blonde as a brunette, brunette to play Miss Anne. See, I just don't. It, I didn't get it. I don't get fucking pterodactyl really <laughs> from the sky. You're coming down from the sky for that. So it's during the pterodactyl fight that that yeah. that uh, mm-hmm. Driscoll manages to rescue Anne and get her away from Kong. Mm-hmm. Which, you gotta feel bad for Kong at that point. Why? He just fought, he fought a T-Rex, he fought the giant worm, he fought the pterodactyl, and then he turns around and he's like, son of a bitch, somebody took my woman. Like, the guy can't catch a break. He should probably try to catch one of his own species, (laughs) but okay, sure. Another interesting point. Mm. There don't seem to be any other giant gorillas on this island. he does seem to be alone. He does seem to be alone. Is he the last of his species? This is not explained. Did he get here, you know, from... He's he's not indigenous to this place. He got here from somewhere else. We don't know. Sure. <laughs> you don't care. I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yada, yada, yada. They get in back to the boat. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to leave. They're going to escape. And then the director says, no, no. We, we can't go away empty-handed. We got to capture Kong, yeah. and everybody goes along with this plan. It's a good plan. Nobody says, "You crazy fuck." We all just died. We almost died. <laughs> we are not equipped to capture, let alone store and transport a giant gorilla for again months. Yes, back to New York. Yes, but uh, that's what they do because they have these gas bombs that they conveniently mentioned at the beginning of the movie that they can use to knock out something big and they pretty easily actually they take him down pretty easily yeah, I mean it's not, he, it's not, he does rampage through the village and so that eat like a whole like just a whole of bunch of black people yeah and then you have the crying black baby in the middle of the road oh yeah which is like yeah. how long have we been doing that <laughs> apparently at least lonely black baby left alone years. in the world mm-hmm. sitting there crying in the dirt just oh. that is a familiar <laughs> It just can't escape it. I can't. 
But yeah, I think the black people get the worst of it. I mean, well, yes, no, he ate no. other people, but like he starved. Well, I mean, the rest the... of the crew is killed. Yeah, but not like they get dis- sort of dispatched with pretty quickly right. and sort of anonymously. The black people, he's like stomping them into the ground multiple times. <laughs> yes, he gets close he up of the face of the like. It's just. I think Jesus. I think that's where he bites the head off. Some yeah, picks somebody so up and just, just bites their head off like, too. And stuff. So now you've unleashed King Kong on 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 the black community, and I don't. I just yeah. <laughs> I can't with this movie. <laughs> okay, and then we're and then we're back in New York. Yes, and they say he's been king of the world, but we'll teach him fear, which is just too on the note. It's just <laughs> he was a king in his own country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, is that not like they don't come out well there? No, they're terrible people. They're absolutely terrible people, and I think that's if if we haven't before, I think we definitely start feeling bad for Kong there. I, sure. I mean, yes, we feel bad for Kong, but he still, he dies, spoiler alert, he dies at the end. <laughs> but it's a tragedy when he dies at the end. Is it? Because that guy's walking away with however many millions of dollars he made. I don't know if he made, I don't know if he made it, you know. Ape I think around. he wanted to keep Kong alive a lot longer than that. I'm not sure he made his investment back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this is, you know, iconic segment of Kong rampaging in New York. Yes. First, he's looking for Anne. Yeah. And I, I love the scene where he's climbing up the building and he looks in the window and he sees a woman and he reaches in and grabs her and picks her up and it's not Anne. No. He's grabbed, and he just <laughs> drops her. Because she was brunette. I mean, what the fuck is he going to do with that? <laughs> Fucking brunette. Get out of here. It's so callous. He just like, oh, nope, sorry, wrong woman. Nope. Just going to drop you 60 stories. <laughs> But then he finds Anne, I don't remember how, and then we're, we have the iconic climbing up the Empire State Building. Yes. And this is, the Empire State Building was new, relatively new then. Mm-hmm. It was the tallest building in the world. It was a masterpiece of modern technology. So this is the thematic clash here where we have this force of nature, mm-hmm. primitive creature at the height of human technology and modernity. Deep. <laughs> Come on, you, this sequence did nothing for you? It did nothing for me, no. <laughs> Absolutely. I wanted her to fall off the building. <laughs> but she doesn't because he thoughtfully sets her down. No bitch is worth all of this. <laughs> it's too much. Just not. You haven't even had a conversation. It's not worth all this. They were... And I did not at all like Peter Jackson remade this in, mm-hmm. I think, 2005 or right around then. And they, they made much more of an effort to establish a relationship a and a rapport yeah. between, I think it was it Naomi Watts, I think, and Kong. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, that did not work for me right, either. Because they're... I think they actually go ice skating. Sorry? They, they go ice skating, if, if memory serves. King Kong. And, yeah. How does King Kong ice skate? Does he put on ice skates? He does not put on ice skates, but I think it's when they're in New York and they go, you know, they rampage through, like, Rockefeller Center or whatever, and there's a little lyrical part where they're on the ice and sort of sliding around, and it's romantic, maybe? <laughs> the look you are giving me right now makes me wish that we'd watched that movie as a double feature with this movie. Why are we even remaking this movie? <laughs> that is an excellent question. It's it's rooted in racism and colonial. Like, why are we? Do you think you're going to correct I, that? Yeah, I don't know that you get away, get around that at any point. Yeah, so they're, the planes are attacking him at the top of the Empire State Building, and yeah. he's getting... And that that is sad. That is scene is sad. sad. He's getting sad. wounded, and he's getting weaker, and yeah. he's like, 
one of these fucking things leave me alone like you got your heart breaks for him there it is a little sad and he does he carefully puts her down where she'll be safe before he falls to his death it's a little funny though because he bounces off the building (laughs) (laughs) bumbles bounce (laughs) but yeah it's it was a little sad (laughs) and then we get that final line it was beauty that killed bees. No. Okay. It was racism that killed beasts. <laughs> Capitalism killed beasts. And that was the original King Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you are you glad you watched no, it? No. No. I mean, the one scene, the iconic scene at the Empire State Building, we've all seen, like, that's known. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did not need to sit through this just horribly problematic <laughs> film. All right. Let me... Let me Take one more shot at this. Okay. Uh, I think I quoted a little bit of Nathan Rabin's piece earlier. Here's a little continuation of it. You know, he's he's already acknowledged that King Kong takes place in an imperialist fever dream. <laughs> but he says, at the same time, the film can also be read as an anti-colonialist allegory in which Kong is actually a proud and untamed indigenous warrior. A king and a free soul in his own world who is captured, kidnapped, taken in shackles across the ocean, and forced to put on a show for the amusement of debauched white people. No wonder he rebels so righteously. In this interpretation, he's more sympathetic and, yes, more human than his captors and hunters, who complicate the film's colonialist and racist undertones by being so over-the-top in their boorish, ugly American awfulness. They come off not as heroes, but as satirical caricatures of Yankee voraciousness and greed. What do you, what do you think about that? So, yeah, I mean, that's that's accurate. I guess it depends on, like, how much do you think that that matters? Like, what actually is the prevailing cultural takeaway of King Kong? Is that? I don't think it is. I mean, to the extent that, added, that anyone thought about it at the time, <laughs> probably not. And who wins? Like, okay, fine. They are boorish, horrible, capitalistic, colonialist, racist caricatures of white people who win and who have won in real life. Right. So I guess I'm just like, that's nice. And yet. I think that's where I am, too. Like, even if he's a sympathetic figure, which I think he is. Sure. I don't disagree with that. It's still a problematically coded (laughs) and reductive and sacrificial mm-hmm. sort sort of John Coffee in the Green Mile yes. kind of figure, yes. right? It's like, okay, yes, he's a sympathetic right. character, but And that movie still got me. <laughs> that movie is still So whatever the sort of that undergirding of fear and fetishization and sexual fascination. Right. All of that is still a thing. All of that is still leading to the murders of black men. Right. And black women, quite frankly. Like if we're like let's expand that right. bullshit, right? And there and this is I mean, there's been so much written about this movie from various angles on the racial, you know, some, I can't remember who I saw was talking about reading this as a metaphor for the great migration that was happening Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. That Invasion of black people. Invasion of black people into the cities. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, that's, that's a nice, you know, white liberal read. (laughs) And I'm not saying like, yes. It doesn't change. That's absolutely there. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't change it. We are still telling narratives that are very much rooted in these same Mm -hmm. tired ass tropes. And it has, real impacts on how black people experience the world. Right. And so I'm just like, okay, that's nice. Sure. (laughs) But they won. (laughs) They continue to win. They continue to win the country. 
And we never did away with that linkage between oppressive and desire within white women and very specifically blonde white women. Like all of that shit is still there. And so it's, I, I was like, okay, it's, it's all still like, yeah, I'm sad about Kong, but y'all ain't changed. <laughs> so. I, I think that's fair. Spe- special effects were good though. You know, I, again, I said it was the, the sort of, is it called like rear projection mm-hmm. where it looked, they were like, it's obviously a screen behind right. them and that like, it was, that was very campy and cool to see and the stop motion fights between Kong and dinosaurs <laughs> uh, was interesting <laughs> so hung up on the because dinosaurs. they fucking don't exist. But you, but you have, you don't have any trouble with the fact that this is a, you know, 60 foot tall gorilla. Because that was never a thing. So that's already imaginary. Right. So I'm that, No, that's that. my point, not your point. That's my, but my point is <laughs> dinosaurs were fucking real. Okay. <laughs> they existed within reality. You don't get to just bring them back. So unless it's direct. Jurassic Park and you're fucking with shit. Why is it worse to bring back something that existed within reality than it is to Because the thing is that we've already decided that we're, we're, we're engaging in something imaginary with King Kong. It's like, okay, that's not a Then real. why can't we also have dinosaurs? Because those were real. <laughs> that's what I'm you're, saying. I like, it's just, I don't understand. I, why is this hard? Because one was real and one was not. <laughs> so suspension of disbelief around something that we've established as imaginary, absolutely fine. We can do that. You bring in dinosaurs, and I'm starting to have problems. And it's, that's not the only thing. Again, we're on the island of Sumatra with African Africans <laughs> speaking a not real language who immediately love Miss Anne. I'm, so so you, got, you got some issues. I have a whole lot of issues with the decisions made in this movie. Okay, you ready to move on to the next movie? No. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not enjoying this. At this point in the Kong v. Godzilla fight, I'm rooting for, I guess I'm rooting for Kong. We haven't even met Godzilla yet. Well, but we got to root for everybody black. (laughs) So I guess I'm rooting for Kong, though his love of white women is a problem. (laughs) It's a fucking problem. Got Malcolm X arrested. Like, it's a fucking problem. (laughs) Stay away from white women. I do. Just don't do it. Don't do it. We call him Godzilla. Top of a primordial ecosystem. A god, for all intents and purposes. A monster. Okay, so the next film in our <laughs> creature double feature is Godzilla from 1954. Nikia, what, what do you know about Godzilla? Uh, it's a big lizard. That's it? Yep. I feel like if you had trouble with the dinosaurs mm-hmm. in King Kong... Mm-hmm. Your suspension of disbelief is going to be well, even, but again, this is another imaginary creature. It's an imaginary creature. So you're okay with it? Sure. I don't understand this logic at I all. I don't know what is so hard to understand about this. One was real, <laughs> and the others were imaginary. Right. One was real, so actually existed, so therefore seems to be more realistic to me. No, not for them to exist out of the time in which they lived, unless again, it's some Jurassic Park shit. <laughs> so that's all I'm saying. All right. Okay. In his book Godzilla on My Mind: Fifty mm. Years of the King of Monsters. Professor William Tsutsui mentions a 1985 New York Times CBS poll that asked 1,500 Americans to name three famous Japanese people. Oh, no. Yeah. The top three answers were Emperor Hirohito, Bruce Lee, Mm. and Godzilla. Mm. Now, Hirohito, they got right. They managed to name the Emperor of Japan at the time. Uh, Bruce Lee, Chinese-American. Chinese-American, yes. (laughs) And... Godzilla. is not a real thing. Now, Professor Tsutsui 
admits this is a, you know, somewhat stinging indictment of American <laughs> public knowledge of <laughs> cultures other than their own. I don't know that we would do that much better now. But he also says it's a testament to the impact which a Japanese movie monster has had on popular culture around the globe. Godzilla is the world's oldest and longest film franchise, as well as one of Japan's most enduring and pervasive cultural exports. Do you have any concept of Godzilla movies? No, I just even have... just flipping channels, even coming like because when I've I was seen... a kid, they were on a lot. Yeah. These these B movie monster movies. No, I don't remember ever seeing it on, and I think I've only seen clips or or probably online or something of him just sort of him. I keep gendering them. That's a weird thing that I'm doing. He, um, he this guy actually talks about that issue okay. in the book and says he he feels confident we can call Godzilla he. Okay, so him sort of stomping through cities and right. and leaving destruction is in his wake okay. but that's all i don't know his motivations i don't know how he came to be i don't know anything like that so my memory is of these you know godzilla versus mothra movies all of this mm-hmm. that they were fun but they were definitely cheesy b movie kind of things that you sort of watch to make fun of them mm-hmm. And I think the movies, again, there have been 30-some-odd movies at this point. They grew increasingly more can-be and sort of leaned into the Mm -hmm. B-movie-ness. But as he discusses in this book, he says many Americans are often surprised to discover that the first movie was serious. The original, let's, let's get this out of the way. In Japanese, the movie is Gojira. The character is Gojira, okay. um, which is a portmanteau word combining the Japanese word for gorilla and the Japanese word for whale. Hmm. Uh, but it's Gojira, and it was then Made mistranslated yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. in the American version to Godzilla. It was Mickey Rooney'd. Sure, if you, if you like. <laughs> uh, but he says the original Gojira was a sincere horror film intended to frighten rather than amuse, which engaged honestly, indeed even grimly, with contemporary Japanese unease over a mounting nuclear menace, untrammeled environmental degradation, and the long shadows of World War II. Gojira was the brainchild of Tanaka Tomoyuki, a young producer in Japan's Toho Studios. Um, And there's direct linkage of this movie back to King Kong. King Kong was re-released in 1952 internationally, and it was a huge hit in Japan. That and a B-movie called The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which came out later that year, helped put giant monster movies in the minds of Japanese studios Mm -hmm. as a money-making proposition. But there were serious ideas behind this. As Tomiyuki later observed, the theme of the film from the beginning was the terror of the bomb. Mankind had created the bomb, and now nature was going to take revenge on mankind. And this was, just for context, remembering where we were, this is nine years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, after the firebombing of Tokyo. Japan had lived, after the war, through a decade of American occupation, including heavy censorship about even discussing the bomb and the bombings. Cold War tensions were rising, nuclear tests were happening, so all of this subtext led to Godzilla. Specifically, in March 1954, a Japanese fishing vessel strayed into U.S. nuclear testing waters near Bikini Atoll. The crew was exposed to radiation, at least one crew member died from radiation, tainted radioactive tuna entered the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So this was a huge news story leading to a lot of controversy about the dangers of nuclear testing and all of that. And that, as we'll see, Godzilla opens with a scene directly inspired by that incident. 
Uh, a lot of directors apparently turned this down because they thought it sounded ridiculous. <laughs> so Tomoyuki hired director Honda Ishiro, and he took it seriously. In fact, there's a story that he apparently gathered his crew and gave them an ultimatum. He said, read the script. If you're not convinced, let me know immediately and leave the project. <laughs> because we're taking this seriously. He himself had been drafted and served three tours of the infantry during the Second World War. Uh, he was a prisoner of war. On the train returning home, when he was released after being a POW, he passed through the ruins of Hiroshima. He said there was a heavy atmosphere, a fear that the Earth was already coming to an end. That became the basis for the film. And then he later also said, Believe it or not, we naively hoped that the end of Godzilla was going to coincide with the end of nuclear testing. And we can talk more about that after we watch the movie, but... Okay, then just the other piece of this background, which explains why I have never seen this movie. After Godzilla came out, or Gojira came out, it was released in America as Godzilla King of the Monsters in a heavily edited, Americanized version. Basically, they took Honda Ishiro's film, they cut about a third of it out, including any references that would be political, mm. anti-American, anti-atomic bomb, took all of that out, edited in new sequences with lead character Raymond Burr, an American reporter who witnesses all of the events that happen mm -hmm. and narrates them. How they did it was actually pretty clever. They, they recreated some sets and then shot to edit those in with the existing footage. They shot scenes of Raymond Burr talking to a character who was in the original movie and, you know, mm -hmm, made mm -hmm. that work. Sort of over-the-shoulder stuff and doubles, body doubles and things. Some dialogue they just mistranslated so <laughs> that people appeared to be, to an American audience who wouldn't know Japanese, they could make up whatever the right. Japanese characters right. were saying and have Raymond Burr respond to it. Raymond Burr did all of this apparently in one day. His pieces were like, like shot in 24 hours and just, he shot all the footage and then they spliced it into the movie and made a more basic monster movie, mm -hmm. crowd-pleasing mm -hmm. monster movie out of it. Again, taking all the subtext out of the movie. That's the version I saw as a kid. And that's the only version that was available here until about 2004. Uh, the original Gojira got a theatrical release in 2004, and then I think it came out on DVD in, like, 2006. Uh, but I've never seen it. I've never seen the original unedited Japanese version. So I am looking forward to this. All right, that's all I got to say at this point. Okay. Let's go watch it. All right. All right. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, whose death ray blasts the city from the face of the earth before your very eyes. Godzilla, alive, stalking across the world, crushing all before it. Is Godzilla fantasy or a prophecy of doom? For the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. A tale of horror more fantastic than any ever written by Jules Verne. More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Incredible Titan of Terror. A story to stop the mind as a gargantuan creature of the sea surges up on a tidal wave of destruction to wreak vengeance on the earth. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Tripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. The mightiest monster of all. Godzilla, King of the Monsters! And we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched Godzilla, Gojira, the OG. Oh dear. <laughs> so, I mentioned before how, you know, the American version was the one that most everyone, including me, was familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I had naively assumed that 
this one was viewed as sort of the restored masterpiece. Mm -hmm. That is not universally the case. Okay. Uh, it depends on who you ask. But it, okay. it, it does depend on who you ask. <laughs> Here is Roger Ebert writing in 2004 when this version was finally released theatrically in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Regaled for 50 years by the stupendous idiocy of the American version of Godzilla... Audiences can now see the original Japanese version, which is equally idiotic, but, properly decoded, was the Fahrenheit 9-11 of its time. Wow. The Japanese version is a bad film, Ever writes, but with an undeniable urgency. Uh, he didn't, he didn't care for it. I can see. And he was particularly harsh on the special effects. In these days of flawless special effects, Godzilla and the city he destroys are equally crude. Godzilla at times looks uncannily like a man in a lizard suit stomping on cardboard sets, as indeed he was and did. Other scenes show him as a stuffed, awkward, animatronic model. This was not state-of-the-art even at the time. King Kong, 1933, was much more convincing. <laughs> on the other hand, other people have, have appreciated the charms of this movie. Mark Savlov, writing the Austin Chronicle, called it a thing of grim and terrible beauty, shot by cinematographer Maceo Tamai in a stark visual style that at time echoes the best of film noir. Is it classic cinema? Perhaps not. But then again, American shores and citizens have never been lacerated by atomic weapons. What do we know? Uh and I think that's actually a good point, because I think this movie played much differently for Japanese audiences than mm -hmm. it does for us, necessarily. Uh, this is Christopher Orr at The Atlantic. It's common knowledge that the Japanese kaiju movies were intended in part as metaphors for the nuclear horrors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But in Honda's Gojira, released less than a decade after the bombs were dropped, this is no buried subtext, but rather a theme of visceral immediacy. Yes, Godzilla performs a few patented building stomps and tail swipes, but the images that linger are of Tokyo awash in a sea of flames, of smoldering apocalyptic ruins, of stretchers full of bodies, some of them suffering from radiation poisoning, and shelters full of orphans. As director Honda explained, I took the characteristics of an atomic bomb and applied them to Godzilla. Few mass entertainments have dealt so directly with a tragedy so fresh. Gojira is an urgent, earnest film, a profoundly unsettling window into national trauma. Nakia, what did you think? Um, I enjoyed it, actually. Okay. Um, I thought it was different than what I expected, or at least the first half was was a lot different than what I expected. Yes. It's much slower and nuanced than I thought it was going to be. And for as sort of hokey as the effects were on that, like the big sort of set piece is the destruction of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, he's sort of stomping through. And, and it is a guy in a rubber suit. It is a guy suit. in a rubber suit. And they are sort of like cardboard models of home. Like it, all of that is absolutely true. And yet it didn't bother me and it didn't take away from what was really like affecting and heavy um mm -hmm. the level of the destruction it was still powerful it felt very raw it felt like a country sort of trying to exercise a demon and you're just sort of watching this like almost ptsd sort of trying to get all of this trauma out right so i actually really liked it i thought it was good um something i was and i don't remember who was talking about this but just talking about how even leaving the bombs out of it mm -hmm. that Japan is an island that tends to suffer earthquakes, volcanoes, typhoons, tidal waves. So this sort of just standing in awe of the just this just force of destruction mm -hmm. that really there isn't much you can do about it. Mm -hmm. um, that that's very characteristic. That that's a very you know national trait. But yeah, it's a very solemn movie. It is. 
It is. And it is slow. Mm-hmm. The first, especially the first half is, is very slow, which I like about it. Just the growing sense of dread mm-hmm. of this thing coming is very well done. And it's very emotionally poignant in yeah. places. Yeah. There's a scene late in the movie where in I think it's in the hospital where a doctor is like running a Geiger counter over a child mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the thing is clicking away and he just looks at the nurse and sort of shakes his head. It's like that's very powerful. Yeah. And I think those quiet moments in the middle of this giant monster film monster yes. movie <laughs> well, even are like, really powerful. There's a scene I think after that the Tokyo scene where it's a sea of like Japanese girls singing a hymn. Oh yeah, that's a beautiful moment. And it's just just heartbreaking hymn and and then it's sort of panning over the destruction and it's just really just quiet, deeply, deeply sad moment of just national tragedy. Yeah, it's it's it was surprising. I was not expecting that. There's that scene of a mother holding her three children in the middle of the yes, street. Yes, and saying, we're going to join your father we're soon. We're going to go join your yeah, father I was just now. like, fucking <laughs> Jesus. Like, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah. It's, it's kind of heartbreaking. <laughs> okay, well, what about Godzilla himself? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, I this, remember... I mean, this was, it was, they spent way more money than Japan usually spent on movies to make mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. But it was still way less money than an American studio would have spent on it. And you can see that. You can absolutely see that. So there's an episode of Doctor Who that you showed me once. (laughs) I knew you were going to go there. That had like this, it was like a terrible little dinosaur thing. It was just like, that's Mm. just sad. uh, Terror of the Zygons for you. Doctor Who fans out there. So it was. It's in the vein of that. I'm just like, oh. It looked. It looked like a child's pull toy. <laughs> so no, not great. Um, and yet, I, I, I still don't feel that it takes anything away from the right. film. No, I don't but, either. But it is like it's not great. <laughs> it's and in some ways, to me, it's more. I actually rewatched some of uh, Gareth Edwards' 2014 version, mm-hmm. uh, which it, it's not a bad movie. It's a pretty good movie. But, you know, Godzilla's computer-generated, and it's just, it's not the same to me. Yeah, I think that just physical, like, I would really almost rather see a guy in a suit stomping on, (laughs) you know, cardboard models. Than CGI. uh, Than CGI. Because you just look at it, it's like, well, okay, yeah, he's huge and terrifying, but it's not real. I don't know. There's a a disconnect there (laughs) with CGI stuff. Gareth Edwards got that job on the basis of a movie he did called Monsters, mm-hmm. which is a fairly low-budget movie, but it it's a kaiju movie where you barely see the monsters. It's two people trying to make their way. And so you just get these sort of far-off glimpses of the destruction mm-hmm. and what's happening mm-hmm. and everything. And that's what I think the first half of this movie yes. is like. Yes. I love that scene where the house is, it's nighttime and the house on the beach, the people in there, and mm-hmm. then the walls are just shaking. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you just hear the footsteps that sound like bombs dropping. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, it's genuinely creepy. It is. It is. It, it's very successful at creating a, a, this, like, this dread and this feeling of doom and this impending, unstoppable thing that's coming for you. All right. Well, you want to talk about the plot? <laughs> <laughs> in so much as there is one? Um... Sure. So, uh, Godzilla is awoken by H-bomb testings Mm -hmm. in the sea, and they find 
footsteps and um, sort well, of... Well, first, first he, like, eats a boat. Oh, yeah, he eats multiple boats. And, right. <laughs> he eats the one boat. They're yeah. like, oh, something destroyed this boat. Mm-hmm. And then they keep sending more boats. More boats. Like, they send a boat to investigate. Oh, we've lost contact with that send boat. Send another boat. Then there's a fishing boat, mm-hmm. picks up some survivors from that boat, and then it's like, oh, the fishing boat yeah. has disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe stop sending, stop sending boats. boats. Yes, so uh, we lose multiple boats. And so there's an, they rally scientists and academics and military and all these folks to try to figure out what's going on. They find footsteps and sort of remains of long extinct animals in those footsteps. And they find that the footsteps are also radiated. Right. Seriously radioactive. Uh, That's a scene I like, too, where they, they tell the villagers. And again, this is all just, you know, going back to the real Mm-hmm. horrors mm-hmm. it's like they tell the villagers okay don't use the well for right. a while and they're like what are we supposed to do yeah you know yeah so yeah that is sort of the start of our journey so we have professor yamani mm-hmm. so he's the scientist he's the older scientist right yes. well i think he's a professor is he a professor professor yeah. he's a paleontologist i think they say he's a paleontologist yeah. and then his daughter emiko mm-hmm. is in a little love triangle a little bit And I thought of that, like, watching this and then going back to King Kong, Mm -hmm. where, you know, the director in the beginning of King Kong is like, oh, we need to... You need a date. Movies today, you need to have a love story. You gotta have a You gotta... So it's like, okay, we have this little love triangle here. Yeah. With Amiko, who is betrothed to this scientist... Sarazawa. Sarazawa, Mm -hmm. who lost an eye in the war. But she's really in love with this salvage boat captain, mm-hmm. Ogata. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a little love triangle that plays out here. Yes. The least important part of the film. <laughs> it really, they don't really get a lot no, to do. Not a whole There's lot. There's not a lot of development of this story. She it's cries just, a lot, but that's about it. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, it's not the most important no. thing that's happening. There's a point, and I think it's like between the scenes of the destruction of Tokyo, where Ogata, who I gotta say is not a very good actor, <laughs> but he's like, so I'm thinking I'm gonna ask your father for your hand in marriage. And it's like, dude, like pick your moment yeah, there. This, this is, is not We got a lot going on right this. now. We got a lot. It's a lot going on. So you use the word nuanced. What did you mean by that? Well, it's not a straightforward monster film. There are other things going on. Mm-hmm. And the responses to it are varied. So you have Professor Yamani, who's basically saying, I want to keep Godzilla alive and, like, study him. And, right. Um, there's, there's, like, we shouldn't be responding. With, right. He's horrified yeah. that everybody's first reaction is we need to kill this thing. We need to kill thing. it. Right. Uh, and you have Sarazawa, who has apparently been working on essentially a weapon of mass destruction right. for however long and knows the power of it, knows the threat of Godzilla and still is hesitant to unleash it upon the world because it's like once something like that is out there, right. there's no way that it isn't used. Right. So we, it's like there's, and I agree with you. I think it, it was, that was all like the moral canvas of this movie is all way more complicated mm-hmm. than, mm-hmm. than I was expecting it to be and way more complicated than it is in the Americanized version, mm-hmm. which is just, we need to kill the monster and return life to normal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we have these two two different metaphors for the atomic bomb. We have Godzilla, but then we also have this invention. The oxygen destroyer. Sarazawa is the yes. oxygen destroyer. Yes. That he's willing to say, we're going to leave God. I'd ra- I think it's better if we let Godzilla rampage yeah. rather than unleash my invention on the world. Yes. Did you, how did, how did you feel about Godzilla? We talked about sympathy for mm. Kong. Mm-hmm. 
did, did you feel anything for Godzilla? <laughs> uh, did I feel anything for Godzilla? It's interesting because I think in the later movies, he becomes more of sort of the defender of Japan mm, mm -hmm. against other monsters. Mm -hmm. And that's what the new movies have leaned into as well. It's like, it's, you know, all these other monsters are emerging from the earth and Godzilla is the force that keeps them in check. Yeah. Like Godzilla is going to fight Rodan and Mothra and all these other guys and restore order. So he really becomes more of a cultural hero. Hero. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. So, I mean, they're, di they're different, right? Because King Kong is very much, like, humanized in yes. a way. Whereas Godzilla strikes me as more of a, like, a physical manifestation of a theory. Like, it's a physical manifestation of imperialism. It's right. a physical manifestation of war and war destruction. And, destruction and, and nature. Know, yeah. So it's, it's, so, like, you don't empathize with something right. like that necessarily. It, it, you can say it's, like, an inevitability. You can mm -hmm. say it is judgment you could say it is you know a result of human choices and so like how do we feel about that but it isn't something that you necessarily empathize with i i agree with you and i think i think that's sort of the point of mm -hmm. him too is that he's this large unknown he's almost like a lovecraftian mm -hmm. monster he's you know something almost too big for our minds to mm -hmm. to comprehend let mm -hmm. alone mm -hmm. relate to um, which I think is part of his charm, too. Yeah. Just big things just going to come, fuck everything yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. They, they try a lot of stuff to stop him. <laughs> you talk about any of these set pieces? I mean, none of them works. I don't know. I mean, the big one is they try to set up these sort of electrical lines. <laughs> they set up an electric fence, basically. To sort of keep him out, and it's uh, unsuccessful. <laughs> and... <laughs> Pretty much just pisses him off, really. Just like, well, that's annoying. Or just like, that's, you're bugging me. He's like, I, I kept thinking, have you ever seen, there's an internet meme. It's a little short video of a cat knocking stuff off a shelf. And it's mm -hmm. like, fuck this shit. Mm -hmm. Fuck this thing. Fuck mm -hmm. this thing. That's what I kept thinking of with Godzilla. He's just like, smash it. Fuck this thing. You're in my fuck way. This you're in my way. And that's when we get our first experience of his radioactive breath. Yes. Yes. Which I was expecting fire. Yeah, and I I think it's been depicted as fire in other movies. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm just mis maybe everyone just misremembers that. Yeah. That it's it's never because it does result in fire. fire it breath. doesn't come out as fire, but it does right. result in fire. But yeah, it's but yeah. So we get the radiation first, breath, like his his uh, I don't know what you call them, the like spikes on his the spikes on his back, yeah. Sort of radiate, and then the yeah. the the radioactive breath comes out and destroys everything. So which is actually that was I thought one of the cooler special effects. Yeah, yeah. They, they built, I guess, wax towers, mm -hmm. so then they could melt them under his rays, and that was pretty That was pretty nice. Yeah, it was pretty cool. But then they're shooting at him, and they're shooting at him with dang, yeah. and none of that works it's not working, at no. all. It's a big-ass radioactive dragon, so. <laughs> this is something, when I was watching the, the 2014 Godzilla last night, it was something I laughed at, because they, you know, Godzilla and these other huge monsters are fighting, and these soldiers are sent out to do something, and they're all carrying, like, machine guns. And it's like, what do you think yeah, you're going to do no. with it? Why are you even carrying those? Nope. <laughs> like, they are not going to help you. You're bringing a gun to a dinosaur fight. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to work. So, yeah, the big, the big attack is then he basically destroys Tokyo. Yes. He's basically got Tokyo on fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, again, in addition to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Tokyo was firebombed, and mm -hmm. that was... Mm -hmm. So all of those images would have been very familiar. 
And I guess that's the point at which they decide to use the oxygen destroyer. Is that right? That I think it's it's not long after right. that that Emiko Emiko has known yeah. about it and agreed to keep it a secret. Right. But then after that attack and after she's in the hospital and, and sees the children and yeah. orphan children yeah. and radiation poisoning and all of that, where she's like, "No, we can't. I can't keep the secret anymore." Yeah. And so they go to talk to Sarazawa. Sarazawa. He's pretty adamant that like. You know, yeah, that sucks, but yeah. not gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to use this thing. Um, oh, the scene where he demonstrates that the first time is pretty powerful. Too. It is. Well, because the first we don't see it. Right. So we That's see Emiko's yeah. reaction and we can only He drops imagine. a little pellet in this tank full of fish. Yeah. And then it just pans to her face and she screams. She screams she in sees horror. Whatever, whatever the hell happened. It's horrifying. <laughs> so, yeah. We don't and then when we do it. see it in flashback, it's not as. No, yeah. Impressive. It basically just like melts the fish. Right. So, uh, which is bad. But. I sort of wish they hadn't shown us that. I think it would have been better if we just lingered on that yeah. expression of hers. But yeah, so they finally convince him to use the weapon, but he's basically like, this will be the first and last time that it is used. He burns all of his papers. And they go to to drop the bomb on Godzilla. Yes. While he's underwater. Yes. For some reason, the weapon works better underwater than out. I guess. I am not. They didn't explain the science there, but I'm gonna. I was expe- I was expecting like Godzilla to be asleep when they went down. Yeah. No, he's just. But he's just hanging out yeah, there. So just, I'm, I guess yeah. I am not a hundred percent clear on how they knew. <laughs> That they could just dive down and find Godzilla and he'd just be sitting there. It's, um, well, that's his, I guess that's his home. Like, he comes out. He just comes out to stomp on to stuff. To stomp and, and eat, then, I think, yeah. Okay. Sure. So, yes, he and Ogata dive down mm-hmm. and Ogata serves, no, Ogata doesn't need to be there at all, Not really. really no. Uh, but then he goes back up and Sirizawa Stays underwater. Stays underwater because he needs not only to kill Godzilla, but for the secret of his weapon. To die with to him. To die with him. They they asked him before. They're like, okay, why don't you just destroy your notes and not tell anybody about it? And he said, no, as long as it's in my head, it's not safe. They yeah. could always be coerced. I could always be tempted. So he sacrifices himself to, yes. to keep this weapon from being exposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does actually, it does do the job. It does. The water gets all bubbly. Uh, <laughs> and first, it looks like Godzilla's just sort of freaking out. Like, he's just sort of flailing around. Um, <laughs> What's this shit? But then he finally sort of dissolves as the other fish dissolves. Yes, and we, all that's left is his skeleton. We see his skeleton, yes. yes. <laughs> and then it it does not really end on a happy no, no, no. It's not. It's not a happy, triumphant ending. Which again is a different. Mm-hmm. In the American version, it was okay. They were like, okay, now we can all go back to our lives. Everything's great, and that's not the note that this ends on no, at all. Because there will be another weapon. There will be more bombs. Mm-hmm. All of this will happen again. Okay, so what's what's the message here? <laughs> human beings. What, are what's your takeaway? <laughs> bombs are bad. Uh, human beings are. You know, prone to war and destruction and the implications of that we haven't even begun to perceive or atone for. Messing with forces we didn't understand yes. and we unleashed we, things we don't understand. Our, our impulse to be the creator often makes us the destroyer. Um, you know, all those things. Fuck those around things. and find out, basically. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right, well, so having watched these two movies back-to-back, mm-hmm. now comes the important question. Okay. I do want to say, before we get into that, okay. I think I do think it's filmed beautifully. Like, the oh, black and it white. it absolutely is. The photography, I think it's really, I just think it's yeah. filmed beautifully. Um, so I did want to say that. I, I almost, I almost wished 
this had not been a Godzilla movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I almost wish this had been a film about the aftermath of the mm-hmm. atomic bombs or whatever. That it, and I think it is that. Yeah, yeah. It's just translated into this mm-hmm. uh, fantasy element. Right, Jay Hoberman writing at Criterion says, For the Japanese audience, Godzilla successfully dramatized the monstrous rupture of World War II and its aftermath by integrating the fantastic and the everyday. Much of the movie is coded naturalism. And he talks about the civil defense efforts and the hospitals and the orphans and all of that. That mm-hmm. that was all just... Mm-hmm. It, it, it almost is a realistic movie. It's just we've taken the threat and projected it onto this right. giant lizard. <laughs> and I think... I think Ishiro Honda, or Honda Ishiro, it's, you see it both ways. It's properly its family name first, so mm-hmm. it's Honda Ishiro. I think he some, got somewhat pigeonholed into making these movies mm-hmm. the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. I keep meaning to go look and see if he made non-Godzilla movies after this. <laughs> because, no, he is very good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so having watched these two movies back to back, let's get to the important question here. Mm. Uh, who wins in a fight? Because we got... Godzilla versus Kong coming out. Mm -hmm. I mean, so logically, as much as we can bring logic to this question, (laughs) a giant radioactive lizard whale? Is that what you said? Like the the format who was sort of lizard whale? Dragon. Dragon. (laughs) Dinosaur. uh, Defeats a, you know, while large, smaller than Godzilla. Monkey. Yeah, I don't. I don't even see how it's a I fair fight. I don't really see how it's a fight <laughs> at all. I mean, I think they have made. I think Kong is bigger in the new movies. Uh, he would have to be because Godzilla is like five He's, times yeah. the size of it's Kong huge. in these. Yeah. in these two movies, it's way too big. Like he would just stomp him under his paw. On the off chance uh-huh. that King Kong would defeat Godzilla, and sure. again, slim. I mean, he might be, you know, wily. He Slim, might be. Or he didn't seem very wily in that film. <laughs> Slim margin uh-huh. uh, of victory there. He would still die. And it would be, you know, like a, a Aaron Brockovich sort of situation. <laughs> where the exposure to the radiation would slowly kill him over You're time. Con- Godzilla would ultimately win because Kong exactly. would die of cancer. Kong would die of cancer. Like patches of the hair. <laughs> would start to fall out and he's like what the fuck is going on it's like, you got cancer bro because you tangled with radioactive shit for a whole movie so it would be a sad death for both a of pyrrhic them. victory yes exactly <laughs> sad sad death for for both of them you got a dark turn of mind i mean if you're fighting a radioactive dragon for what two hours you're probably gonna like get actually like yeah. wrestling Re- with it you're up it, close and personal you're just, you know probably yeah you're absolutely you have cancer <laughs> and it's gonna be a slow ugly death so yeah let's see that movie <laughs> Chernobyl. <laughs> Just patches coming out. Not that we're laughing about cancer. No, no, absolutely not. That would be terrible wrong. people. <laughs> terrible people. Okay, anything else to say about either of these two? King Kong versus the ACA. He's trying to like get treatment. Can't get it. Make a case. Not gonna be able to do it. Anything else to say about either of these two iconic monster movies? Not really, no. No? No. (laughs) Did you enjoy them? Are you glad you watched them? I'm glad that I saw Godzilla. The original Godzilla. I am glad that I saw that. 
uh, King Kong again. Like, there's the only thing that is for me is just racism. So I'm just not that. I'm never going to be. Same with, you know, Gone with the Wind and things Mm -hmm. like that. Like, I'm not going to be. That's not something I needed to see. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So you want to watch Godzilla versus Godzilla versus Kong when it comes out? I do not. No. 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 I didn't turn you into a a lover of these. No, No, I'm not. I'm good. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic. Nikia, every single week I ask our listeners to suggest a movie for us to watch, (laughs) and they hardly ever do. Uh, And to be fair, when they do, I don't always add those movies to our list. Sometimes they're movies you've already seen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're movies that I, for one reason or another, don't think would make for a good conversation. Sometimes they're just movies I don't feel like watching. (laughs) But we do get some suggestions that work out. And here's a tip for our listeners. I hate figuring out what the next movie is. I think I hate doing the schedule. He hates it. Because it's arbitrary. It's like, okay, we're going to... So I keep trying to find these hooks to watch movies. It's like Godzilla vs. Kong is coming out, so we're going to watch Godzilla and Kong. That's my level of (laughs) thinking. Uh, So a good way to get us to watch a movie is to not only give me the movie... Give him a reason. (laughs) But tell me where I can put it on the schedule. Yeah. And that's what one of our listeners named Dana did. She not only suggested we watch... 9 to 5. But she also pointed out that Administrative Professionals Day, which used to be known as Secretary's Day, is is coming up on April 21st. Okay. So that's it. No thinking required. (laughs) I slotted that into the schedule because it it made one less thing I had to think about. Okay. So we will be watching 9 to 5, starring three legends, Dolly Parton, Mm -hmm. Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin. All right. A slight change of pace. Yes. From Godzilla and Kong. I thought that would be nice for you. Well, I think a slight change of pace from most of the films that we watch, I feel (laughs) like that's okay. What do you you mean by that? Well, it's ladies for one, (laughs) so that's a little bit of a change. Okay, so we're looking forward. And that might be three unproblematic white ladies. Those are three pretty awesome white ladies, Which actually. Is, that's fucking hard to do these yeah. days. So, all right, Dana, good we'll job. We'll talk about them. <laughs> In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can find additional episodes, leave us a comment, subscribe to our stuff, or make a donation to support our work. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. <laughs>